evening and maybe use to take that next step as a family, as a church, as an individual, whatever God might have for you in your own heart or in your own life. Um, I think it was Henry Blackaby in the book uh, Experiencing God. It was a real popular Bible study maybe 10, 15 years ago. One of the things he said is that we're always kind of wrestling, like, what does God want me to do? What does he want me to do with my life? And one of the, one of the statements that he made there is he said, simply just look where God is already at work and just join him there. And uh, that kind of simplifies things. And so my hope uh, in, in the brief comments I'm going to make this evening is, one, just to share with you guys four resources uh, that are actually books. I'm just going to actually recommend some books to you here in just a moment that I would love for you to pick up that I think could possibly further your own investigation into these uh, issues of reconciliation and justice. And then I also want to highlight for you four really dynamic ministries that are going on right here in Birmingham that you may be aware of, you might not be, that God is already doing some amazing, amazing work, not only for reconciliation, but just for relationships and for justice, I think would really, really encourage you. So um, right off the bat, I want to just kind of show you these four different books, and these are all for different types of readers, so one of these may catch you because it may be more of your style of reading, but the first one is uh, Under Our Skin. If you're an NFL uh, fan, you may be familiar with Benjamin Watson. He played for the Saints for several years, came out of the University of Georgia. Uh, he now plays for the Baltimore Ravens, and uh, right after the... Um, the, uh, the incident in Ferguson with Mike Brown and after Darren Wilson was exonerated of those charges, Benjamin Watson posted on Facebook, he's not a Facebook user, but he posted kind of a long diatribe on there of just all of the different emotions that he was experiencing. Uh, it was a whole myriad of things. As an African-American player, he was really troubled with all that was going on with the rioting and all the ensuing events that went on after that. He hit send on his phone and then he says that his phone died right after that. He was waiting in the Target parking lot and his wife came out and said, were you on Facebook this morning? He said, yeah, why? She said, well, your, your post is blowing up. Well, needless to say, it got shared a million times. Uh, and uh, it ended up being picked up by Tyndale Publishing, and they produced a book basically off of his Facebook uh, post that he put. And so it really just walks through a myriad of things that he's experienced in his own life. It's a really easy discussion type of book. It's an absolutely fantastic read that I would highly, highly recommend. This book right now is on your resource table. It's divided by faith. I would strongly encourage you to take advantage of buying that book tonight. This is an excellent, excellent primer for the discussion. Now, this is more for the readers that like more of a sociological or uh, kind of a collegiate-level read. This is not necessarily a quick page-turner. Uh, this is two professors, uh, two white professors, that I think interviewed 5,000 different whites and blacks around the country about their views of race and faith. And uh, it just kind of shows the variant uh, opinions and different outlooks, not only on Christianity, but on justification, on the function of the church, on why we're divided. Anybody who's interested in these issues that we've talked about this weekend, almost everybody will say this is one of the best books to start with, Divided by Faith. It's right now out, out there on your resource table. This book is, I'm biased towards because I know who wrote this book. This is, my, this is my book right here, Meals from Mars. So this is for anybody who likes fiction. This is a story uh, this just came out with Tyndale about three weeks ago, and uh, it really captures the, the plot of the stories that a young African-American kid from the city and a, and a white man from the suburbs, uh, through a traumatic experience, get trapped together for 24 hours in this really unusual circumstance, and with really nothing left to do. Their phones don't work. They're out in a place where there's no reception. They basically peel back the curtains of their lives and just talk life. <laughs> All of the issues that we've been discussing and all the stuff that we're aware of on media, from whether it's issues with police brutality or police being shot in the city, with urban violence, with educational issues, uh, they get into it and discuss it in a pretty uh, intense format. Um, 
but I really think does a great job of helping highlight kind of the different sides of the table in a way that can be very constructive. Um, the publishers put together a 20-question discussion guide in the back that's great for a small group format or for a family to discuss. Uh, the people who have read it so far said they couldn't put it down and said it made them very, very uncomfortable. And I said, that's mission accomplished. That's really what I was hoping the book would do is kind of push people out of their uh, comfort zones. And then finally, you heard Jason Williams. If you heard the panel discussion, Soon Chan Ra, if you have not heard of this man, you need to get to know him. This is a man from South Korea. He is now a professor at North Park Seminary in Chicago. Uh, this book is called The Next Evangelicalism, and the subtitle is Freeing the Church from Western Cultural Captivity. Sounds really good, doesn't it? This book, I probably have underlined more in this book than I have left ununderlined. It's a fantastic, fantastic read. And it deals a lot with what I talked about this morning from 1 Corinthians 12 when we were talking about the fact that we need each other, if you remember that, that we, we cannot say to any part of the body that we don't need them. It takes a strong look at some of the, the strains within the church of the minority populations and what they bring to the gospel, what they bring to the church. One of the things I did not realize is that most sociologists say that within the next 40 years, the minority population in this country will be the majority population, and that is going to create an interesting shift even within the church. And so he's kind of ahead of the game in highlighting what that's going to look like and also showing how a lot of that has been resisted within the white majority church for a long, long time. So this is another fantastic read. If you guys are on Amazon or anywhere, I encourage you to pick up any one of those four books as resources. So that's the educational side of it. If you're into reading books, I would highly recommend any one of those resources. If, you are, if, you've, if you've been moved at all to say, hey, what can we do as a family? What can we do as a, as a church to get more involved in some ministries that are already present in the city that have been doing this for a long time? I want to highlight for you four ministries. And right off the bat, I'm going to start with what's right here on my chest, and that's Restoration Academy. Okay, I've been there 17 years. I'm not sure if any of you have been out to the school or, or not, but I want to give you a quick cliff note of who we are. Um, we've been around since 1988. We were founded by an African-American PCA pastor named Dr. Anthony Gordon. I believe he was one of the first African-Americans ordained in the PCA church. As a young pastor, he planted a church in the Eastlake community in 1983. Uh, during his first couple years of ministry, he saw a lot of deterioration in this community. It was a neighborhood that was really racked with crime and violence and abuse. And in 1986, he said he had to officiate the funerals of five different young men that were gunned down due to gang and drug violence. And he said it was really that fifth funeral that essentially broke his heart. And so he uh, began to really wrestle with the reality, can a church, as noble of an effort as that is, really get quantifiable discipleship hours with young people? He might get them on Sunday morning, and if he was really, really fortunate, they'd come back to a weekday evening service. But even then, that was only four to six hours a week. And, um, and so he began to recognize that many of the young men in particular were being apprenticed by some of the gangs and the drug culture in the community or by the failing schools that were right there in the neighborhood. And so the second thing that occurred to him is he said, why is it that thousands of students in Birmingham have access to really good public schools, good private school options, good Christian school options, and meanwhile thousands of kids in my neighborhood, there's no, there's no such thing like that, and even if there was, they could not afford it. And so with no board, no budget, and no background in education, Dr. Gordon opened up kind of this dilapidated wing of his church in 1988, and 69 high school boys showed up. Um, most of them were in trouble with the local school. Some of them were in trouble with the law. That was not his strategic plan. He was not trying to start with a high school, but that's who God brought to his doorstep. So you now fast forward to 2017. We are now fully accredited with the state of Alabama. For the last 11 years in a row, 100% of our seniors have been admitted to college. 
Um, the majority of them are the first in their families to do so. I love showing that statistic because I'm only second in my family to attend college, and I know how significant that is for generations to come. And um, so we've been really, really privileged to um, have um, basically 80 to 100 volunteers that come out each uh, week to tutor, to volunteer, to help with flashcards, to help mentor and tutor. Uh, if that's something you're passionate about doing, we can plug you in anytime, anywhere, working with our kindergartners all the way up to our seniors. You do not have to have a PhD to do that. Um, and we are also a donor-based school. So just like many of our foreign mission partners, we are also seeking to raise money. 80% of our families live in poverty. And so uh, they cannot afford restoration. It's been a donor-based model for years. And so we do are, are deeply supported by the body of Christ. So what I'd like to do just briefly here, everybody had these really slick videos, and we just made a really cool video that's three minutes long. So I asked David, I said, hey, can we show our really cool video? So if you, if you don't mind, I'd like to, us just to watch that for just a moment, and then I'll highlight the other three ministries that I want to share. Restoration Academy was birthed out of the heart of lamentation. Our founder, Dr. Anthony Gordon, was one of the first African-Americans ordained the PCA Church. And in 1983, he set out to plant a church in the Eastlake community, hoping to bring in some light. It concerned me that thousands of kids around the city have access to good public and private schools, but the children's only religious do not. So with no word, no budget, and no real blueprint, he opened a dilapidated women's church in 1988 and restoration academy. I think it's a good time where feeling 
I'm loved, I'm attractive, and counseling when I would counsel them and encourage them and show them in the word of God where they are important, where God loves them and where they are beautiful. And I've seen them go out of counseling with a sense of hope, with a sense of like, hey, I can do this, I can make it. You know, that is a purpose for me. If you want to, uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about the school, we do have a monthly visitor luncheon, and it's actually Altadena Valley Presbyterian just down the road. It's going to be hosting us this coming Thursday at noon. So it's free food, and our chorale is going to come, which I guarantee will blow your socks off. They're going to be performing. It's our fine arts luncheon, and so they're going to be highlighting our choir as well as our some of our artists. So that's this coming Thursday. And then I also wanted to encourage you, if you're interested, uh, I've been invited by Mountain Brook Community Church on March the 12th to be a part of another race panel. Um, if you're familiar with Fred Shuttlesworth, he was one of the great civil rights leaders in Birmingham at Bethel downtown. His successor, his pastor, his name is Thomas Wilder, is an African-American pastor. The two of us are going to be part of a panel discussion at 6.30 p.m. at Mountain Brook Community Church. Um, and they're hoping for a pretty good turnout for that. So I'm really excited and honored to, to actually get to be on a panel with a man like uh, Dr. Wilder. He's an amazing, incredible pastor. So let me also highlight real quickly for you guys, you saw in the panel, if you came this morning, Jason Williams is an incredible guy. Get to know Jason Williams. He has a ministry called the Aspire Movement, um, which is uh, basically attaching mentors with kids, not only at Restoration Academy, but in some urban public schools around the city, building what he would call mutually transformational relationships. I think Jason has matched almost 150 mentors with mentees now around the city. And I'm going to tell you right now, he has gone into some of the local public schools and said, I have some folks that would like to come and mentor some of your kids. And he's had administrators in these schools breaking down in tears. Uh, they're so excited and so desperate for people to get into their hallways. And let me tell you something. This is an incredible way to bring the gospel into public schools right now where you can actually freely talk about your faith with a lot of these kids. The only caveat that I've given uh, to people who get involved with that is that it is mutually transformational, and these kids will mentor you as well. They have so much to teach and to show you. So if you're interested in that, it's aspiremovement.org. Uh, look them up online. Get involved. And uh, Jason's a great friend of mine. Uh, and a dear brother in the Lord, and I love promoting what he's doing because he's been a huge blessing to our school as well. Uh, the last two ministries I would also highlight is Grace House. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Grace House, but they've been in, in Fairfield as long as we have. Mama Lois uh, has been a longtime member at Briarwood, African-American, started Grace House at the age of 63. When most people are retiring, she started this ministry. And uh, they basically take in girls that have been uh, physically or otherwise abused and been forcibly removed from their homes, and she provides them asylum. Uh, every, almost every one of their girls go to Restoration Academy. They're right, right around the corner. But they also have a need for mentors and for volunteers, uh, for in-kind construction. They're trying to build more houses to take in more girls and expand the ministry beyond high school age to girls that are now trying to go on to college but still don't have a family to connect with. Uh, so I'd definitely love for you to encourage, uh, encourage you to participate with Grace House. And then finally, uh, Dion, who sat in the middle, he is our accountant, but he's also a part of Urban Hope, if you guys are familiar with Pastor Alton Hardy. This is a PCA plant in Fairfield, so this is an extension of the PCA denomination. Uh, they are doing some absolutely tremendous work, particularly targeting young men that did not finish high school. 
These are guys that are many of them are unemployable. Some of them have trouble in their background. He's helping connect them with careers, with, uh, with GED training, finishing their high school journey. And we're really, really excited that he's in the process of trying to develop a kind of a restaurant kitchen right there in Fairfield where he's going to be training these young men to be cooks. They're going to start a coffee shop. And just to show you the synergy that God is creating in Fairfield is that hopefully this kitchen is going to provide the students at Restoration with free and reduced lunch. We've never been able to have a hot lunch program for our kids in 28 years. And so this is another incredible way that God is kind of interpollinating all of these different things. So God is doing some tremendous stuff. I just want to encourage you with that. I didn't really want to do any more teaching tonight, but just want to give you guys some practical ways to either further your own study with some of these books, great starting places, or perhaps give you four different options if God's tugging on your heart to plug in. They've already got a system for you just to kind of just give them a call, shoot them an email, and uh, I know that all of them will be happy to plug you in. But please remember what I said, guys. The, the, the encouraging thing is that the gospel is the solution. <laughs> Jesus has given to us as ambassadors of reconciliation a precious message that, that reinstalls people in a relationship with God, but also to one another. I hope that excites you and motivates you, and that as you leave a conference like this, you could at least spend some time with the Lord and say, God, what does this mean for us? What is a step that we can take? And I'm confident that he'll show you that. So thank you once again so much for uh, giving me some time here. It's been a real blessing, and God bless you. Yeah, it wasn't for me. I haven't done, I haven't done anything this weekend. So, um, yeah, thank you, Ben, um, first for your time, for coming out here this weekend. And then also, I particularly have appreciated uh, your posture and approach, your humility, uh, and the balance in which you've addressed a very difficult topic. So thanks for being here. Also, I want to... David's kind of mentioned the outreach team, but it's appropriate for me as well to just say thank you to all those from the music team to the people that have prepared meals for us, uh, all the missionary partners that are here. We're very, very thankful uh, for all that you've done to make this weekend happen. Uh, So know that we're very thankful for your hard work. And also, I want to thank you uh, for being here. And I've known only, I'm, what, six weeks, eight weeks in, two months in, whatever. And um, if I can be a proud pastor uh, at two months in, I'm proud of you. Um, I really am because this is a very difficult and often painful topic uh, to discuss, particularly in the South. And one of the things I want to be true of our church is I want this to be a place where we can learn from one another and we can talk about very difficult things uh, with one another and experience grace in the process. Uh, As you can imagine, I was in campus ministry for 12 years, and six of those years uh, I was in Oxford, Mississippi at Ole Miss. And being in Mississippi at Ole Miss, this was a huge topic. Uh, It was a topic that I dealt with pretty much every week in some capacity. It came up in all sorts of ways on our campus. And I used to joke with my students and the people I would interact with over this topic that I was in racial reconciliation kindergarten. Uh, And it's true. Um, That's still true. I have so much to learn. I'm a beginner uh, in this 
uh, area of racial justice and racial reconciliation, but it has become an area that's very dear to me. And it's an area that I want our church uh, to, con- not only do I want to personally grow in, but I want our church to continue to grow in as well. And my prayer and hope is that this is the first of many conversations that we will be having around these topics. That this is the first of many ways that we can talk about how can we get involved in even the smallest of ways uh, in this area of racial reconciliation and justice uh, in the city of Birmingham. Uh, One of the things I've loved about uh, this weekend and Ben's uh, approach particularly is the way he's pointed us back to the Bible, uh, to the scriptures, and shown us that racial reconciliation is at the very heart of the gospel. It's at the very heart of God and what he came to do. And we looked at a couple of passages, and friends, it hasn't even scratched the surface. (laughs) Really, from Genesis to Revelation, it shows up everywhere. Uh, And so one of the things, that the reason why I love that is because this is not a political thing. This is not about promoting a political angle in some way. This is about the Bible. This is about talking about things that God cares deeply about. And so with everything, every topic that we come across, whether it's dealing with sexuality, whether it's dealing with work or money or race, we want to start with the Bible. And we want to look at those things, this being one of them this weekend, um, through the grid and through the foundation Uh, of what the scripture teaches and particularly one of the things that I've appreciated this weekend was that second Corinthians passage uh, that we looked at uh, last night and the whole idea of a vertical dimension the reconciliation with God he came into the world in order to reconcile through Jesus to reconcile us to himself but in light of that notice that there's a horizontal dimension he says now you the church Go be about the ministry of reconciliation. And and I love the idea of our identity because I think that is a big part of this conversation. Our identity is ambassadors. Uh, You are an ambassador of Christ. You are a child of God. That's who you are. And I think that's important when we talk about lots of issues, but particularly this one, because that's where the problem is, I think. What tends to happen, and it's with lots of things, but we tend to start looking and making our political party our identity, or our race, or our culture, or our geographical location, we start to look to that as the sum of who we are. And Jesus says that our identity is an ambassador of Jesus. But when we start to build our life on other things and make that our identity, we start to get afraid and we start to get hostile and angry towards other people or other things that starts to threaten that identity. And so we put up walls because we're afraid. But the gospel, you see, is such good news because the gospel comes and it says, no, no, no. Jesus comes and says, I have given you everything you need. I have given you everything you need. I have given you your identity. And the gospel comes and, in a sense, douses away every fear and tears down every single wall. Last thing. 
I want us to talk and kind of wrap up and talk about some practical ways that we can be involved in the work of racial reconciliation and kind of tie all this together because I think these are themes that we've heard all weekend. So let me just try to sum sum up kind of some of what we have said so that we can walk out of here with some action steps this weekend uh, in line of of what's already been said by Ben. When I was at uh, Ole Miss, I was... Uh, you know, there's tons of folks kind of around the university doing Southern studies. And one of the gentlemen, it was an African-American guy by the name of Jamar Tisby. And he was the founder, is the founder and president of the Reformed African-American Network. And he was there getting a PhD, he was commuting back and forth. And I got a lot to learn. And so I just said, Jamar, help me. Will you meet with me? Can we have coffee? Can we talk? Can I ask you questions? Probably really dumb questions. <laughs> and will you not judge me and help me? And so we would, uh, had gotten together a couple of times to talk about these issues. And let me just share a few things because I think it's helpful for us. Uh, the first thing he said was this. If you want to get involved in this area, you need to know that you're going to have to repent a lot. <laughs> that sounds fun. Um, <laughs> The second thing he said was that you're going to have to give yourself a lot of grace. And then he gave me this model for racial reconciliation, which has been very, very helpful for me over the last year or so. And it actually ties everything together that we've learned this weekend. And it's called the arc of racial reconciliation. Awareness, that's the R. The, or that's the A, I can spell. <laughs> that's the A. Relationships is the R. And C is commitment. So the arc of racial reconciliation. And those things aren't linear. Uh, sometimes they happen all at the same time. But they all have to be present in, for, uh, in order for reconciliation to take place. So the first one is awareness. We've talked about that. We've gotten several good resources that have been talked about all weekend. Many of them are on the book table. But we have got to be aware. We've got to know the context. We must understand the issues and how race works in our social construct in our country or we will always be at a disadvantage. And Jamar, I said, you know, I feel like I have a good handle on the history. He says, no, you don't. If you think you know the history, you don't. He basically said, there's so much to learn about this. And so here's an action step. Read one book this year. Don't try to read 12. Try to read one book. Pick any book out there. We've gotten several good resources. One book on this topic this year in 2017. Secondly, relationships. We've got to, so A, awareness. We've got to, we've got to know the history. Uh, we've got to get involved in the history. That's our responsibility. Secondly, relationships. We need to get in relationship with people uh, from a different culture or background or race than us. Because it's when we get in relationships and face-to-face and actually hear their story, that's when our perspective starts to change. And some of you have experienced that. Because our tendency is to want to focus on a big event. Like we need a racial reconciliation where we need to get all the people together in Birmingham and, and go to this big event. Okay, well, that, that's fine and good. 
And maybe those things are helpful, but it's all about the relationship. Here's another book, Letters to a Birmingham Jail. And this is a response. Brian Loritz wrote this and basically collected these essays in honor of Martin Luther King. And one of the essays in here, chapter 7, was very helpful for me because it basically says that racial reconciliation starts in your living room. It starts around your dinner table. Uh, And so in order for things to really change uh, in uh, this area, we've got to get in relationship with folks that are different than us. And you might think, well, okay, but I don't really know anyone that's different than me. How is that going to happen? Well, we need to pray. This is a prayer that God wants to answer because it's right at the heart of who he is. Pray and ask God to give you a relationship, give you eyes to see folks around you that you can enter into relationship with. And when God answers this prayer, I'll tell you what Jamar told me, be quiet and listen. Be quiet and listen. Ask lots of questions. Be a learner. Remember the James passage that was mentioned. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. The other thing that I think needs to be said again, you will be offended. And you will also be the person that offends. And when that happens, own it. Repent. Uh, Say you're sorry. Last, so we have awareness We have relationship, so these are action steps. We can get in relationship, pray for relationship, and lastly, commitment. So it's one thing to be aware. It's one thing to have relationships where true dialogue can take place. But boy, the rubber meets the road on this area of commitment. Like, what are we going to do about it? Because change will start to happen when we're actually committed to it and have a burden for it. Uh, And this could actually, so this is answering the question, what does it look like for us to be involved? And it can be different for everyone. A couple ways, and I'll tell you a humbling story to illustrate or to give you an example of one way this might look. There was a guy named Ike Hill that was involved in our ministry at Ole Miss. He was an African-American kid from the inner city of New Orleans His uh, father was in prison, has been in prison for most of his life. His mom was dying of cancer. And he comes into RUF, and he's there as a freshman, and he gets converted. He hears the gospel, he becomes a Christian, and he never leaves. He and I develop a great relationship over the years, and his mom passed away a couple of years ago from cancer. Uh, I got the privilege to drive to the inner city with him and do his mom's funeral. And a couple of years ago, around this, a little bit after this had happened, and this happens every now and again at, uh, on our campus, as you can imagine, the KKK will show up and do some sort of demonstration. And so the KKK showed up one Saturday, and I'll never forget, a couple of weeks later, I was meeting with Ike, and he says, where were you? Where were you? And I said, I am so sorry. Because the honest truth was, I wasn't even thinking about it. 
And you see, that's part of the problem, isn't it? I wasn't even thinking about it. I wasn't thinking enough to go and stand with my brother. And so I don't know what it might look like. But one way it might look is that we go stand with our African-American brothers and sisters in some way, in some fashion, whether it's the KKK comes to town and we go stand with them um, in protest or whatever that might look like in your life. It might look like you um, showing up at a meeting and getting involved in the policy changes that would advocate for the poor and marginalized in our city. It might mean you being more intentional about where you live and where you send your kids to school. It might mean serving in Restoration Academy. It might mean when your family gathers for Thanksgiving dinner and you're with your extended family and they make racist comments, you do not stand in silence. But you speak up. I don't know what it might mean for us, but my prayer for all of us uh, as we move forward is that we would find even the smallest of ways that we might move the ball forward and get involved in racial justice and racial reconciliation in our city. Let me pray and close us in a word of prayer. And before um, we dismiss, we will have a closing song, but once that song is over, um, you're dismissed. And hang around and fellowship as long as you would like. Thanks again for being here, and thanks, Ben, for a wonderful weekend. Let's pray together. Father, um, would you forgive us? Uh, Forgive us uh, for our pride and for our fear uh, and the racism that's within our own hearts, even racism that we don't even know and realize. And as we think about this topic, it is way too big for us to even think about fixing. And so, Lord Jesus, come and help us through your spirit. Would you help us um, to not get defensive? Would you help us through your spirit uh, to be humble enough to listen? Would you give us a deep appreciation as the people of God? Um, Would you give us a deep appreciation for the gifts and perspectives that other races and other cultures actually bring to us? Would you help us to see that all people are created in your image, and they deserve respect and dignity. Lord, help us gain clarity as uh, families and as individuals, and particularly as we think about our church, on what it might look like uh, for us to be more involved and to care about this issue more deeply. Come, Jesus, and help us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.